is overwhelming. We shout to you and acknowledge, God, that you love us. Who knows that God loves them this morning? Can you thank him? There's no mountain you won't climb up. There's no wall you won't knock down. No hurdle is too great for you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you that your love for us is abundant and abounding. And there's just more of it, more of it. No matter what we face, and no matter what you call us to do, the love is so much that it just spills out. Thank you, God. Just pray that you would lead me and guide us, God, that we would listen to what you have to say in 2 Timothy. We just pray for your spirit to prevail, God, that you would touch our hearts and that you would minister to our hearts and that you would move our hearts in ways that we didn't come in here thinking we were going to be moved. But because your spirit's so great, we can be moved. So we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So they, they changed the order. So just sit down and we're going to have the message first, I guess. <laughs> Come on in and join us if you haven't had a chance to get settled. Um, the same thing happened at the beach, but we, we went ahead with announcements. But, you know, last week Todd talked about developing a culture of discipleship. And some of you might be saying, what does that mean, a culture of discipleship? What do I do? What does that mean? How does that look? And you know, this song about the overwhelming love of God is so cool because discipleship isn't that complicated. What discipleship is, is enjoying the love of God, acknowledging what we just sang about, the overwhelming love of God, and letting it sink in so deep that we can't help but tell someone else. It, it just bleeds out of us. It just comes out. That's what developing a, a culture of discipleship is, where it's just, it's so good, so good to us that we can't help but give it away, right? Some of you might be here and you're thinking, I think the love of God is, is good. I, I'm trying it. I'm coming and I'm, I want to have a little taste of it. I want to know more. So some of you are just deciding even if you want to be a disciple of Christ. Others of you have, have known Jesus. You've experienced the love of Jesus. You got it, baby. Now you just have to give it. If you got it, give it. Some of us just don't know who to give it to. Some of us are hoarding it to ourselves. We love Jesus and Jesus loves me, but we don't know how to give it. We don't know what that means or what to do or how that happens. So we're kind of all in different stages, I assume, in this room. 
But a disciple, who wants to define what a disciple is for me? Just give it a try. What's a disciple? A student. A student. Yeah, anything to add to that? What kind of student? Anybody want to add to that? An apprentice. An apprentice. Yeah. What were you going to say in the back? One who also teaches. Yeah. Someone who's disciplined. Someone who's disciplined. So see, a disciple encompasses a lot of things. It's a student, but not just in knowledge, but in practice. It's a student that imitates the ways of its teacher, right? It's disciplined in the ways of its teacher. It's modeling the way of its teacher. So it's a person who knows Christ, follows Christ, imitates his Christ, and teaches other people about it. That's what a disciple is. A disciple knows Jesus and does what Jesus teaches. So you know if that's you or not. Or maybe it's something that you're checking out. And we love people that are checking it out. Anywhere along that continuum, you are welcome here. But today we're going to look at the model of Paul and Timothy. They had a discipleship relationship in 2 Timothy chapter 2. So turn to your Bibles in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 1 to 6. So let me read that for you. 2 Timothy 2, 1 to 6. So you, my son Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, because no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life, so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not with the pri- he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. Also, the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to exercise his share of the crops. And lastly, this is a lot, guys. So he says, consider what I say, Paul says to Timothy, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So even if you don't get what I just told you, Timothy, the Lord will give you understanding in all that I instructed you. So he's confirming the fact that God is in this. I have so many props up here, I can't even put my, uh, my outline. So let's look at the beginning of the chapter, verse 1. He says to Timothy, you my son. You my son. So you may not know this, but Timothy is not Paul's son. He uses that term son as a term of endearment. He is in close, he's been in close proximity with, with Timothy. They've traveled together, they've ministered together, Paul's let him look at his life. They know each other well. They know each other so well, and Paul has so much love for him that he calls him my son. So he's almost like adopted this guy, Timothy. So we know from that terminology that there is close proximity between the two. Jesus teaches exactly the same way. 
all over the New Testament, but specifically in John chapter 1, the people see Jesus and he arrives on the scene and they're like, who are you? What are you about? All these questions and, you know, they want him to answer and they're just pushing him, pushing him. They want him to answer. And Jesus says, just hold on. Come with me. Come see where I live. Come see how I eat. Come see how I do friends. Come see how I do the temple. Come see how I do everything. So he invites. And I think Todd mentioned last week, there's invitation and there's challenge. But Jesus invites us in to know him. That's how discipleship happens. Paul says to Timothy, my son, meaning there's intimacy. So the first question for us as we disciple others is are we willing to bring people into close proximity with us? There's a cost to that, isn't there? There's a cost to bringing someone with us in the home when we eat. There's a cost to bringing someone with us, you know, as we go out. There's a cost to taking our lunch break and meeting someone. There's a cost to spending time with people at work when all you want to do is go home. There's a cost to bringing people into close proximity. And that's what Paul says and how he addresses Timothy. The second thing he says in verse 2, or in verse 1 actually still, he says, be strong in the grace of Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace. So if you look through scripture in the New Testament, you can kind of understand that Timothy has a more gentle and kind of Lay, not laid back, but shyer manner. He's not like Paul. Paul's out there charging it, type A driver. Timothy is a little bit more in the background, shyer, timid, not as much confidence. So Paul says, Timothy, I want you to be strong in the grace. Now he might be saying be strong in the grace because of being timid, like you. He might be saying, be strong in the grace because what he is facing in culture and everything that Jesus is teaching, that Paul is teaching, is countercultural. So if Timothy's going to grow as a disciple and Paul's encouraging him to grow, it's going to take the grace of Christ because he is living different than culture. And that takes a lot of courage. Or he might be just exhorting Timothy to be strong because he's an ordinary man and Paul is asking him to do extraordinary things. So if we live in our ordinary self, we aren't able to live out the extraordinary. We have to take on the identity of our Savior to live out the extraordinary. I am a perfect example. I come from a family where one parent had faith and the other one didn't. So I watched both. I came from a family where my dad had a drinking problem and it created a lot of insecurity in me. So I didn't have a strong self-image and I didn't have a lot of confidence because it was confusing to me as I watched this in the home. I come from, uh, not come from, but the way I'm made is I'm a, I'm a very sensitive, emotive 
fragile person. So sometimes when I look at the things God asks me, ask of me, or wants to grow in me or strengthen in me, I don't have it. I don't have it. But there's one time in my life that changed everything. I put my faith in Jesus when I was eight years old. But it wasn't until college that I understood that when I put my faith in Jesus, my whole DNA changes. God imparts his DNA in us. We become new. The old things have passed away. The new things have come. So my new identity was the fact that I was a royal priesthood. Your new identity is that you're a royal priesthood. We are chosen by God. We are beloved by God. We are, his loving kindness is all over us. His, in our weakness, he's made strong. Did you know that's all true of you? When I choose to believe that, just like Timothy, not in who I am or who I grew up to be or everything that's a matter with me, and let me tell you, I could give you the laundry list. If I function out of that, how emotional am I, right, Rosaline? Right? If I function out of just my emotion or just my identity that I, I have without Christ or my weaknesses or even just my strengths but not the strengths I, I don't have, I can't live the fullness of what God has for me. But when I believe and embrace and read the scriptures and pray and receive and own the identity that God gives me through this book. This is what tells me who my, my identity is right here. This is, this is it. When I believe that, the possibilities are every mountain, every barrier, Anything can happen when the supernatural DNA of Jesus Christ himself resides in you and resides in me. Anything can happen. He can take this little broken, insecure person and he can do whatever he wants with it. And he can do that for you and he can do that for me. So when, when Paul says to Timothy, be strong, that's what he means. Maybe be stronger than your personality. Maybe, be, maybe know your identity in Christ. Or maybe just be strong knowing the culture is going to press you down. The culture is going to tell you you're something you're not. Christine Kane does this little thing um, where... Her, her little girl goes to preschool and everybody tells her she's ugly and not good. And, and you know, they're, she's like in fifth grade or something. And she threw her shoulders back. You guys got to watch it online. She throws her shoulders back and she says, my daddy says I'm beautiful. And it didn't matter what those little kids said. When she was growing up, her daddy told her that she was beautiful. 
And guys, when Paul tells Timothy to be strong, what he's saying is, you don't believe all the lies in your head that go through your mind every single day and go through mine every single day. You throw your shoulders back and you say, my daddy says I am loved. My daddy says I have all power and authority because of Jesus Christ in my life. My daddy says I don't have to be all that junk that the enemy tells me because I can be what's true in his word. If I take this off, all my props are going to fall. So I'm not going to take it off. So that's what he means by being strong, okay? So number three, and actually Paul tells Timothy 25 times to be strong. So you guys think this guy was strong? No, he was just like you and I. He was just a guy, just a normal ding dong. And Paul's saying, be strong. Believe what's true. And then number, um, number three, in verse two, he says, these things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men. So these things that I've, you've heard from me, Timothy, these things I've imparted to you, you've watched them, I've modeled them, you've, you've kind of got them from me. Find other faithful men to give it to. But I want to stop for a minute and I want to say, what has God entrusted you with? So what does that mean? Um, so most of you know my oldest daughter had a baby four weeks ago. So I've popped in, helped her, you know, taken care of her, got to hold the baby and everything. It's amazing. Well, last week she called me and she said, will you watch August, mom and dad, because we're going to go out for my birthday. And I was so excited. I got to have them in my house. I got to set up my, for the first time, my new crib. And I got to, you know, it was just like amazing to have, she entrusted me with baby August. It was different than when I was at her house because she trusted me to take care of him on my own, right? I was nervous because I know how to take care of baby. I've had three kids, right? But for some reason, babies are different now these days. And I put the baby in my backpack and I marched around the house trying to get him to settle down and he finally settled down and then I thought, I'm going to just lay that baby in the crib with the backpack on and just see if he'll stay asleep because he was kind of fussy. So I took the backpack off and I laid it down and I kind of like, you know, inching away from the crib. And I realized if she knew I laid that baby in the crib with a backpack, she would probably take that baby away from me. Because, you know, they can suffocate. I mean, when we raised kids, we threw them on the bed with pillows and blankets. But now they lay on their back with nothing around them. <laughs> babies are different now. It's not the same kind of babies as 20 years ago. So I quickly thought, I got to take him out of the backpack because she's entrusted me. I don't care how I raise kids. I want to do it the way that they, they've learned and that they're doing because she's entrusted me with this gift. And boy, do I want that gift to come back, right? So God 
has entrusted you, when you put your faith in Christ, even when he created you, and then you put your faith in Christ, he has entrusted you with gifts. He's entrusted you with experiences. He's entrusted you with truth, right? Truth that he's taught you and he hasn't taught, maybe he's taught other people too, but just specific truth he's entrusted you with. And Paul's saying to Timothy, look at what I've entrusted you with. And Paul was a teacher of doctrine. He was a teacher and he, he was the master of doctrine. He was the author of most of the New Testament. So he's saying to Timothy, I trust you with this. Be very careful. And in chapter one, he talks all about how to be careful with that truth he's entrusted him with. So what has God entrusted you with? I told you one area for me, it's identity. He has taught me through 1 Peter, through Ephesians, through a number of passages that my identity is not based on my background or my insecurities, but it's based on the DNA of Jesus Christ himself. I know that and I've seen it and I've witnessed it and I know that I know that I know. Okay, another area of, of entrust, like gift entrusting that he's given me, that doesn't make any sense, is that I know he gives hope to the hopeless because I had a son that lived in the hospital for almost a year that had no hope to live and God gave him hope and he shares this freely. I'm not sharing anything that he wouldn't share. But let me tell you something. I've witnessed death come to life because I've seen my own blood, my son, not want to live to wanting to live and thrive. So let me tell you, I can tell you this happens. This kind of stuff happens. When God says he gives hope to the hopeless, he's not kidding. He gave us hope. We were hopeless. Some of you witnessed our hopelessness. He, Theo was hopeless. He has hope. He thrives. That's not anything we did. We did nothing to contribute to his hope. hope. Only God could have turned that around. And you know it. You've, some of you have seen it. I've been entrusted with, those are just two messages of the truth that I've been entrusted with. And let me tell you, if you want to know anything about those two areas, I would be happy to tell you. Tell me you, some of you, what have you been entrusted with? Just, you can shout from your seat or stand up. Tell me something you've been entrusted with. Yeah, Kathleen. Okay, Kathleen said she's been entrusted with knowing what it's like to lose a parent at a very young age and how to navigate that and walk with, with God as your father when you haven't had the opportunity to know your father. How old were you, Kathleen? She was one. Wow. 
What are some other things, things that God's told you in the scripture or life experiences or things he's done in your life? What have you been entrusted with? Yeah. So, so I, I wish I could pass around a microphone, but what she's saying is that she's been entrusted with a man named Max who is in prison right now and she has also been in prison due to an injury and a, some alcohol. And um, she's been given the opportunity to encourage him and share with him and give him life. And she's, she's a nurse. And just this week, she got a job after a lot of hard work and a lot of miracles. Right, Donna? Yeah. Yeah. Talk about mountains and walls, right? that God has taken down and now given you the opportunity to share your experience with someone else. How about another one? Let's hear from a man. What? John's been entrusted with providing for his family. So that's something you can share with other men, right? How to do that. Good. Love it. Anybody else? What have you been entrusted with? Come on now. Yeah. Wow, you've been entrusted with a beautiful stepdaughter who was raised in a Jewish family and now has faith in Jesus. Wow. It's awesome. Anybody else, what you've been entrusted with? Yeah. Awesome. He said his dad has been entrusted with something that's really practical, helping people because he's a paramedic. So we had, Todd and I had this amazing discussion yesterday with two friends because we were talking about is things like helping people physically in emergency discipleship? Or is discipleship like a program? Well, if you go back to Matthew 28 that Todd talked about last week, it says, go make disciples. So that's implying that we're not all disciples, right? So we have to make them. So that kind of job, any of your jobs, is a way to make a new disciple. Do you see that? No one's going to reach people in your occupation more likely than you. So maybe you're not developing a disciple yet. You're actually making one. You're making a new one. Because he said, go make disciples of all the earth. Okay, so Paul says to Timothy, these things you've learned from me entrust to others that will also teach others also. So not only 
do we want to share what we've been entrusted with, but we want to share it with people that then will share it with other people. That's the sequence that Paul was trying to get at is you, you share what you've been entrusted with and find people that will share what you've entrusted to them. Make sense? So it's this one by one, more and more are able to learn the ways of Jesus, learn the teaching of Jesus, and become like Jesus. And then go, go ahead and teach the next one. Does that make sense? Okay, I don't know any, I don't have any context of time. Okay, I'm at 28. Okay, good. So, um, entrust it to faithful men. Like I said in the beginning, if you got it, give it. If you've got it, give it. If you know Jesus, you know something about Jesus, give it to someone else. Share it with someone else. That's all it is. It's like hot potato. I give it to you, you give it to someone else. It's not that difficult. Now, we can, we can develop in our growth as a disciple deeper and deeper and more and more. But initially, it's just reproduction. It's sharing what we've been given with someone else so that they can share what they've been given with someone else. But lastly, he closes off with... Know you will endure suffering. Verse 3, suffer hardship with me. And he, and he gives three examples of the way we might suffer. A soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. So what do we know about soldiers, athletes, and farmers? If you look at the text, you'll see an athlete. I look around here, many of you are athletes. Chrissy, you know when you set your goal as an athlete for a prize, it takes a lot of work and discipline and determination to win, doesn't it? Or if you're a farmer and you're planting crops, you know, you're tilling the soil, you're feeding the soil, you're weeding, you're watering, and eventually, maybe, if you hold your breath, Fruit comes, right? Vegetables come, but it takes time, all the time you put into the soil. Or a soldier, a soldier, he says, Paul says in 2 Timothy, does not involve himself or entangle himself in daily affairs, but looks to the victory, looks to when he will battle, right? He's disciplined for the end result. So Paul's saying as disciples of Christ and as, as he exhorts Timothy, he says, you know what? You got to realize this is, this is going to be hard. It's going to take a lot to get to the result we want. It's going to take discipline. It's going to take watering. It's going to take weeding. It's going to take work, right? But as we walk with Jesus and learn more about him, and just stay in that, it will come. It will come out of us. It just, we, we, we put it in, and it'll come out. It's like, you know the old saying where someone says, um, <laughs> 
our words are a reflection of our heart. So sometimes like if someone bumps us and we're mean and angry and then we blame them because they did that, we're mean and angry because what's in our own heart, right? I think that's the saying. I'm kind of getting it mixed up. But yeah, what, as we grow in Jesus and all the things he is and all the ways he's worked in our life, that'll come out. We don't have to strive for it. It just happens, right? Because it's our DNA. If our DNA is Jesus, what comes out is the fruit. And lastly, he says, this is, this is interesting to me. In verse 7, he says, Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So basically, Paul's saying, you know, I've given you all this instruction, but you know what? You're still going to have to go back to Jesus and get understanding in this. You know, when you're working with somebody or really wanting to make a difference in someone's life or just live out the Christian life and you don't get it, Paul wraps this up and says, the Lord will give us understanding. And where does he give us understanding? Through prayer, through reading God's word, right? There comes understanding. So I want to just wrap it up with a couple um, challenges for us, if you don't feel challenged already. One is, what have you been entrusted with? Pretend this is your little life, all right? What is in your box that you have been entrusted with that you can give to somebody else? Some of you talked about it, but just think about it. Like, what? What has God entrusted you with? Some of you, it's business sense, and you are called to make disciples in business. Some of you is the teaching of the word. Karen, she has sent me passages in opportune times. I know the word, but it's like words that are going to change and pivot situations. Some of you, he's given encouragement. And you've seen in the scriptures how encouragement changes lives. Some of you, he's given athletic ability. And you're on a team and you're a leader, and people are watching you. Some of you are on a team and you're not so good, but you're part of the team. People are watching you. They're watching how you handle being on a team and maybe not being a player, right? Just, so think about it. What has God entrusted you with? And secondly... And lastly, I just want to talk about the race. In Hebrews 12, he says that we are all running the race. And what he means by that, with our eyes on the prize, we're all in this world running the race. We each have a lane that we run in, right? And we have our eyes on the prize, which is when we ultimately meet Jesus, Who, okay, let me, let me back it up a minute. I got to tell you the, the, the story first. Okay, so in high school, 
I'm just about to exhort you and then I distracted here. Okay, so in high school, I was really chubby and I wasn't an athlete. I was a cheerleader though. But freshman year, I wasn't and I was just kind of trying to find something to do and my friend says, why don't you come out for cross country? And for someone that doesn't like to move, cross country was a big challenge. It was like, I'm gonna actually have to move and I'm gonna have to move all the time. So, but I like this girl so much, right? Relational equity, son. Remember Paul and Timothy, son. I like this girl. And she's like, just run, we'll have fun. We'll, you know, we'll, then we'll compete and we'll talk. And I'm like, okay, I like Cindy, so I'm gonna run. So this is a miracle, basically. So we start running, and I realize I have more endurance than I have speed. So maybe it's going to be cross-country, not track, right? So I start running, and I try out for cross-country, and I make it. And I get put on the long-distance relay team. So I, I said at the beach service, I don't remember which position I was on the relay team, but I was on it, Okay. So when you're on the relay team, the first person runs, and then they hand the baton to you, and then you take it, and you run your, your distance, and then you hand it off, right? And I was so proud to be on this team because I was a slug. But I would run my heart out, and I would run so hard, and a lot of times after my, whatever that is, heap or whatever, I would barf. I mean, it was so hard for me, but I just ran and I loved my friend and I just wanted to be on the team and so I just did it. And then I just, <sighs> but every time if I decided I was gonna quit and not be part of that relay team, that relay team couldn't run and win the race because I was an integral part to one of the distances, right? So if, if my teammate handed me the baton and I just was like, you know what, I'm so sick of this, I don't wanna sweat, I don't wanna barf, I don't wanna do this, we couldn't win, right? Every team member had to do his part. That's what Paul is saying, that's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 28. Everyone who knows Jesus make a disciple because we want to make disciples of all the nations. So my question to you is, who are you taking the baton from? Who is leading you? Who are you watching? Who are you watching imitate Christ? What are you reading in the word to learn how to imitate Christ? Who is running ahead of you? This takes intention. You, you need to find someone or watch someone or get in closer proximity to someone that you're taking the baton from. And then my second question is, who are you giving the baton to? Who are you taking it from and who are you giving it to? Because what we've been entrusted with ourselves is what we want according to Paul, right, to entrust to others. So many of you that I know personally in this room, people have built into you. They have entrusted you. 
and you have the baton and you're running your, your leg, leg, that's what it's called, leg of the race. It's been a long time. But you haven't been able yet to turn and hand it off to the next leg. So that is my challenge is who are you taking it from and who are you giving it to? So let's pray. God, thank you so much for the example of Paul and Timothy. It's so good, Lord, to think of our group here and to think of how it starts with relationship. And so many of us in this room are so relationally connected. And yet you say through that relationship, we can make disciples. So help us to think, Lord, in relationship, who are we learning from? Where are we learning to follow you more closely? How are we learning the ways of Jesus besides Sunday morning, God? Who are we watching? What are we reading? Who can we emulate and imitate as they know you, as we know you? And then, God, who can we hand that baton to? As I prayed this week, God, I saw a fire of what happened if, like at a concert, everyone turned on their little light and they lit the light next to them. And the whole world knew about your son, Jesus. So God, we pray that for our community that we would be people that take first even know you. Maybe some people in this room, they, they're just deciding if they want to know you, Lord. Will you convey and just manifest yourself to them? Will you show them how much you love them? I pray that they would know you, God. And for those of us who know you, I pray that we would take very seriously what you've entrusted us with and everything you've done in our lives, and we would give that to someone else. That the light of Jesus Christ would double and triple and quadruple on the hill, in the beach cities, in the South Bay, in Torrance, and Lameda, in all the world, God, that there would be fire, glorious fire of your son Jesus and his reckless love for us your reckless love for us.